Hey everyone, just a heads up, the names of our guests in this episode have been changed and their voices have been altered to protect their privacy. You'll understand after you listen. Enjoy the show. So I got this email and um, it had a face on it and said, I think we might be related and I'd like to talk to you. And when I saw that little face, I knew she was mine. That's Hope. A few years ago, she did an at-home DNA kit from Ancestry.com. I wanted to see if uh, my heritage was, in fact, what my parents told me I was. So I did the test, and sure enough, um, I was exactly what they told me I was. Hope got her results, and there were no big surprises. That is, until a young woman named Karen reached out, claiming to be a biological match. Oh my gosh, I was thrilled. Karen told Hope she was looking for some insight into her biological family. Hope, who was in her 70s, was happy to help. She provided Karen with all the information she could and answered a bunch of her questions. And then? She said, would you call me? And so we had a phone call. What was that phone call like? I mean, it... It feels like it probably was exciting, but like, what, were you nervous? Like, were you excited to talk to her? I was very excited to talk to her. And I really didn't think it through. I I just, um, I just blathered. Hope and Karen are quite close on the family tree. They share about a quarter of their DNA with each other. Something Hope found surprising and delightful. For me, it was just a joy. I've never heard her so excited on the phone. Hope's son Mike vividly remembers the first time his mom shared the news about Karen. I mean, she was just bursting with excitement. You know, within a day of talking to her, she told me she loved her. Loved, she loves Karen. Loves her. This all sounds nice, doesn't it? Matching with a long-lost relative who embraces you with open arms. Except, when Hope opened up to Karen, she also kicked up some drama. I certainly made it clear to my mother that, you know, I did not want to have my identity revealed in any way or at all. And that's because Mike is Karen's sperm donor. There were problems because he wished to remain anonymous. But I had already spilled some beans with my mouth and um and it's hard to take it back once it's spilled decades ago when mike donated his sperm his clinic told him that none of his offspring would ever know who he was but the ancestry dna kit his mom did and the beans she spilled to karen erased all that and mike was not happy it's hard to express how violated i feel by what, what's happening to me? I mean, in all the years that I've had this child, I cannot think of any time we have had words or had ugly conflict, but this was not pleasant. Let me tell you, it was not pleasant. Now, Hope has found herself stuck between two people, 
Mike, the son she's known all of her life, and Karen, her long-lost biological granddaughter. I couldn't back down. I couldn't back away. Didn't want to back away. Couldn't back away. Hope may relish the connection she has to Karen, but Mike isn't having it. He signed up to be an anonymous sperm donor more than 30 years ago, and he wants to keep it that way. But things aren't shaping up as he expected. I was very, very careful about the whole thing. And, I mean, boy, did it run off the rails quickly. She's a lovely, smart, caring person. You couldn't ask for a better offspring. She has the right to just dox me to the whole world. I don't think that she does. My son never wanted children. I thought, oh, his DNA's out there with this person? I mean, it's stalker-like behavior. I, I just find it very upsetting. From Sony Music Entertainment and three Uncanny Four productions, this is Biohacked Family Secrets. I'm TJ Raphael. On today's show, a grandmother, a granddaughter, and one anonymous donor's fight to maintain his privacy. That's next. Stay with us. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mike was, in many ways, just a kid when he signed up to be an anonymous sperm donor back in 1990. You know, I, I grew up in a small southern town um, I was a virgin. I was, um, you know, 19 years old. Mike was a freshman in college. It was an exciting time in his life. He'd just moved from Alabama to the big city for school. There were two large universities in town that published college newspapers. And it seemed that whenever Mike picked up one of these papers, he would see an advertisement from a sperm bank looking for donors. It's a cartoon of little sperm, spermatozoa, but they're all wearing little scarves, right? I've dug through the archives of the college newspaper. I've seen this ad, and it's just as he described it. It's animated with a bunch of smiling sperms in cozy hats and scarves. They're eagerly waving at the reader as if to say, join us. The ad has a bold print that made a financial appeal to students. In all caps, it read, need extra cash? $50. They ran the ads so frequently that um, it was kind of, you know, guys in the dorm just kind of joked about it. Colleges and universities have long been prime advertising territory for fertility clinics and sperm banks. What better way to find a concentration of young, cash-strapped, wide-eyed would-be donors, right? Clinics often even set up shop close to college campuses to make the whole process more convenient for students. The world's largest provider of donor sperm, California Cryobank, 
has a Cambridge location, conveniently located between Harvard and MIT, and offices near Stanford and UCLA. Today, cryobanks and fertility clinics can recruit potential donors through micro-targeted social media posts on Instagram, TikTok, hell, even Craigslist is still used. But in the analog days of the 1990s, when Mike was in school, college newspapers were the way to reach students. And, well, the ad worked on him. You know, it was a decent amount of money for essentially no work. I just kind of did it because some of the other guys were doing it and, you know, just, you know, what the hell. Mike signed up for the donor program and was screened by the clinic. He had a physical, shared some family medical history, and he had his blood drawn and semen tested multiple times. Sperm donation was, and is, a selective process. They asked about my family history, but they didn't ask for proof. But I I was scrupulously honest about everything. Um, I mean... And, you know, looking back now, I realize I I really was an ideal donor because I was, at the time, I was pure as the driven snow. Mike was an ideal donor. He was young, smart, and studying a burgeoning new field, computer science. And his looks didn't hurt either. I think the reason they picked me is is very um, simple. Um, I've got blue eyes. I had blonde hair as a kid. I have German ancestry, and... I mean, it creeps me out to even tell you that. But um, I guess that's, maybe there's market demand for that. I don't know. Mike donated his sperm for three years throughout college. But he didn't tell many people about it. In fact, he's pretty much kept this to himself for most of his life. There's definitely an ick factor when it comes to sperm donation. You know, people think about the, the actual mechanics of how it's done. And so... That's a, and that's a large reason why I just don't want to talk about it. It was embarrassing. Um, I'm, it, I'm actually almost cringing with embarrassment telling you this right now. But uh, It sounds like you never, w- and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you never would have done this if you thought that you could be found. Is that fair to say? Not in a million years. I never would have done it. I, the money was nice to have, but I didn't particularly need it. it I definitely Definitely wouldn't have done it. It was represented to me in a way to suggest that it would never come out. What did they tell you about then, about whether you would be known versus unknown or anonymous? I can't emphasize enough that what they said to me was that it's impossible for anyone to ever find out that you did this. You will be anonymous forever. And that was a commitment that they made. I wanted to ask the clinic about this commitment, but... First, sorry, you have reached a number that has been disconnected or is no longer in service. The clinic no longer exists. Today, the location is a corporate office park next to a Target and a budget hotel. Mike graduated from college and retired from sperm donation. Did you ever give it much thought after you stopped donating, like, Did you think about your time as a sperm donor? Did you think about any future donor offspring? Or did it just kind of like fade away from your memory um, after you stopped? Did I give it a lot of thought? Um, No, not, no. I I, Like for a solid 10, 15 years, I didn't think about it at all. 
It just wasn't a big deal. And his mom, Hope, felt the same way when she first learned about it, while helping Mike sort through some old belongings. So as we were going through it, those boxes, this piece of paper fell out, and it said sperm donation. And I said, oh, what's this? And he said, oh, something I did in college. And I thought, oh, okay. I didn't think a thing about it. Years passed. But then, in 2018, some news broke. This morning, new details of the rigorous investigation that detectives say brought down the Golden State Killer more than 40 years after his alleged killing spree began. Law enforcement sources telling ABC News they used a genealogy website to help connect Joseph D'Angelo's DNA to past crime scenes. When the um, Golden State Killer was, was caught through familial DNA matching, I realized that um, the same technique was going to be used to discover me. Coming up. It's just all the pieces came together in my head in one single moment. Then I realized you know, my anonymity was uh, endangered. Mike's struggle to keep his privacy is just beginning. That's after the break. This is Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. I'm Steve Taylor, your host to a horror anthology podcast where we ask you to depart from your safe perception of reality to descend with us into the frightening depths and dark corners of twisted imaginations. With carefully curated original tales of terror each week, our deepest rooted fears are brought to the forefront by a diverse cast of voice talent and masterfully eerie sound design that bring these stories to life. We'll give you tales of unnerving encounters with the occult, harrowing hauntings, and sinister seances that show just how darkness knows no bounds. Make sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We're a new show breaking down the anime and pop culture news you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) And we agree on some things, but not on everything. Oof. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. Listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. A year before the Golden State Killer was identified through genetic genealogy, Mike's mom, Hope, got her DNA test results from Ancestry.com. Mike was unfazed. It was 2017, and the idea that one of his donor offspring could find him through his mother's DNA test just didn't register. The ads for Ancestry.com 
I don't know if there's one that they ran all the time, and it was this woman, and she says... The most shocking result was that I'm 26% Native American. I had no idea. I had no idea. I'm Native American. What they don't mention in those ads, the their main business line is matching you up with, with your family members. I mean, seems like they could have mentioned that in the advertisement, but they don't. But Mike started to think about it a lot after the Golden State Killer news. Mike's a Southern guy, so he thought it would be disrespectful to ask his mother to delete her account. But he told her to watch out, that his donor offspring may try to connect with her on ancestry. But Hope says... I just didn't really think about it too much. I I don't know that it sunk into my mother that there are a a lot of them. There are going to be a lot of them. I did it for years. Knowing that he may likely have dozens of donor children out there, Mike offered up a plan. He told his mom, if any donor offspring contact you, you can provide them with family medical information. But he wanted to stay under the radar. In theory, this was all fairly simple. But then Karen popped up in Hope's inbox, a real-life granddaughter, and emotions crept in. For me, it was a gift from the universe, a grateful wonderful thing to know that my son's good genes go on. Mike's plan started to unravel pretty quickly. You know, the pressure started immediately. Um, I I was willing to compromise and um, maybe have a hands-off relationship where maybe she could be the intermediary. But uh, the pressure, she immediately started to pressure me to develop a familial-type relationship. You know, if I knew that it was only going to be Karen, well, okay, I could possibly, you know, start to develop a relationship with her. But I have to think about the future, right? I have to think about the larger picture. Hope and Karen continued to chat online and on the phone. It happened so incredibly fast. They grew closer, and then... They added each other on Facebook. That's it. Game over. My identity is revealed. There were a bunch of photos of Mike on Hope's Facebook page. Mike was concerned. Through the internet and through Hope, Karen had figured out his full name, where he lived, and what he looked like. This kind of online sleuthing, it's exactly what Amber and Caitlin did to find Kurt. Privacy is something that... um, it's hard to overstate how important my privacy is to me. I, I from a, a generation where, you know, I didn't grow up with social media and I'm just not accustomed to having my inf- anything of, of my information out there in the world for people to see. It's a cultural thing to me that I, I can't overstate its importance to me. For now, it seemed to Mike that his mom and Karen were forging a relationship at a distance, over the phone and online. He thought, well, if they're talking, I should probably say something. So Mike and Karen connected through some text messages. I realized that I couldn't just put my head in the sand anymore. I needed to come and try to take control of the situation. Um, So that's why I agreed to talk to Karen. He began the conversation by telling Karen that he realized that this was a big moment in her life, 
and wanted to be sensitive about her feelings. I'm not a monster. I mean, my goodness, I I, I remember being 25, and at that age, you're you're you know you're figuring out who you are, and, and I, I get it. My God, I get it, and I didn't want to to do anything to harm her. They kept texting back and forth. Mike still has screenshots saved, and I've read the messages. They're pleasant, but very formal, almost like an exchange with a new business associate. Mike was understanding of Karen's situation, but clear about his need for privacy, and Karen seemed to respect that. They planned a time to speak on the phone, and it went well. But Mike was still feeling unsettled by all of this. And then things got even trickier. And uh, so mom said, well, you need to know that uh, Karen's coming for a visit. Hope had invited Karen and her husband to the house that Mike grew up in. The visit was planned for over the holidays, a time that Mike usually loved spending with his mom. He felt that he had to do something to hit the brakes. So he asked Karen if he could talk to her parents. Mike wanted to know what they felt about all of this. She's your daughter. I, I don't, I, I just felt like I, they should be involved. So Mike talked with Karen's mom. He learned that when Karen's mother was inseminated more than 20 years ago, the clinic had mixed her father's sample with Mike's. Just like Brittany Johnson, it was always unclear to Karen's parents who her biological father was. That is, until Karen did the Ancestry.com DNA kit. Karen's father had only just found out that he was not her father. When he spoke to Karen's mom, Mike asked if she knew that her daughter had pursued a relationship with Mike's mother and what she thought about Karen contacting him, even in the face of his desire to be anonymous. Her mother said, uh, Karen's a grown adult. We have no control over her. Mike, who had anonymously donated his sperm three decades ago, suddenly found himself in this balancing act simultaneously trying to maintain his own privacy, his relationship with his mother, and now Karen's relationship with her parents. Coming up... How dare you? How dare you? What is wrong with you? Tis the season for messy family drama. Mike pleads with hope as things with Karen go off the rails. That's next. Stick around. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat. Available now. Is Meghan Markle like Princess Diana? Or is she just a social climber? I was silent. Were you silent or were you silenced? Is she a breath of fresh air or a master manipulator? That's what we're going to find out on my podcast, Infamous. Apparently ambition is a terrible, terrible thing. 
We'll look at what happened when two dysfunctional families came together. It's the family that I suppose she's never had. And how Meghan and Harry going Hollywood all went down. Only on the podcast Infamous. Just days before Karen was scheduled to visit Hope, Mike learned something that deeply concerned him. Karen had shared his name and photos with two more of his donor offspring. Mike felt his privacy was quickly disappearing. There's no excuse for her. There's no way to say that she couldn't have known the harm that she was doing. He felt blindsided by what Karen was sharing. I'm just in this black hole of information. I don't know what's going on with Karen. I don't know what she's telling to people. Mike felt he needed to do something. He was going to be at his mother's house for Christmas, so he decided he would stay to meet Karen to make sure his mother didn't overshare more details with her. He let Karen know by texting her a very long and pointed message. He outlined a list of rules. No photos, no posting about this on social media, no telling other half-siblings about the meeting. He asked that Karen unfriend his mom online and refrain from communicating with any additional family members in the future. He said that during the meeting, they would not be discussing his life or other family members in any capacity. And that Karen should not ask questions about his family beyond medical information. Mike wanted the meeting to be all business. He told Karen that even though his anonymity was gone, he wanted to keep his privacy. Well, okay, so there's anonymity and then there's privacy, right? So my anonymity is gone, right? But my privacy remains, right? So I'm, I'm doing this interview. You're going to alter my voice. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm not a, a public figure. Um, you know, I'm not a celebrity. I'm not a known person. Um, so I, I still have some, a little bit of privacy. After Mike laid down his rules for the visit, Karen responded. She agreed that she would not share his name, photo, or contact information with anyone, but she would not agree to his other terms. It was just shocking. It was truly shocking to me. It just struck me as entitled and, and immature, and I, I, it's just so profoundly un, unjust, unfair, inappropriate in, in every way. How dare you? Things between Karen and Mike had reached a boiling point, and the holiday visit was still on. Hope really wanted to meet Karen. So in the end, she uh, told me to, to go home. She told you to go home early and not, Karen, don't come for a visit because I'm with my son and it's Christmas time. Correct. Interesting. How did that feel? Were you, like, upset? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it didn't feel good. Yeah, it didn't feel good. He wanted me to re- to just back out of the whole thing, but I couldn't. Not I just couldn't. Um, I love him, but I I just couldn't do it. Hope wound up meeting Karen and her husband over the holidays. The visit meant a lot to her. It felt so natural to me. It felt like uh like they were already part of my life. You know, it didn't feel strange. It was a joyful acceptance. I uh, was just altogether happy about it. It was an instant connection. 
I looked at her hands and um, and they were my son's hands. You know, you look at that and it just does something to your heart. I love my mother and I, you know, I, 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 I wish that I didn't have to deal with this, but I have to now. Um, this just seems extremely complicated in that, like, you're having this sort of tense sort of exchange and relationship, if you could even call it that, with Karen. I'm wondering how that, you know, how has your mother's contact with your donor offspring changed your relationship with your mom, if at all? I mean, I have the best mother on earth. I mean, I, I truly have the best mother on earth. I mean, she's... She's uh, just an extraordinary. You, I mean, you spoke to her. She's an extraordinary person. So, I mean, we, we, we have such a strong base that, you know, I mean, I guess in this situation, you know, the, it, this, this is the kind of thing that could, you know, kill a relationship for, maybe if we didn't have such a strong base. Mike and Hope have come to an agreement on her relationship with Karen. I adore my son. And so... Uh, I just don't talk about it to him anymore. What are your hopes going forward when it comes to your son and his donor offspring, his potential relationships with them? I am not putting my um, hopes into that at all. That's his life, his decisions. Um, I think he's missing out on some sweetness in his life, but... That's his decision, and I understand it, and I respect it, and I, um, I'm sorry I uh, went against his wishes by not checking more thoroughly with him before I um, blathered forth, but I'm older, and my filters are not as, the pores are bigger than my filters. For Mike, the picture is less rosy. After stating his desire for privacy prior to the Christmas visit, he found out something startling. He checked out Ancestry.com and found out that Karen violated one of his top requests again. She shared his picture and family information on the platform for anyone who connected with her to see. And so that's when I sent her the text that said, are we going to have to get lawyers involved? Do I have to send you a cease and desist? Because I thought that was astonishingly over the line. Because another promise she made to me in writing was that she would not reveal my name or send pictures to anybody else again. Mm-hmm. And here she had done this. Hope didn't know that Karen posted Mike's photo. Didn't know that at all. I think that's not um, that's not good. And I've, that's not uh, fair. Fairness. Some donor-conceived people, folks like Amber, maybe even like Karen, believe that in order to have real fairness, they must be given information about their donors and the ability to contact them, even if those donors signed up to be anonymous. But Mike couldn't disagree more. Clearly, they believe that they have the right to know the identity of any donor. You know, name, date, social security... But not only do they believe they have the right to know the identity, they have the right, they believe they have the right to social updates on that donor. And so one of the arguments that a lot of donors have made is that, well, privacy is coming to an end anyway, so um, we might as well contact them. And I, I think that that argument is 
exactly the same as saying something like, grandma's got can- lung cancer, um, she'll be dead and, you know, soon, so let's just offer. When Mike and I last talked this spring, he told me how frustrated he still is by this whole situation. Essentially, it just feels like there's no balance here. He started a website for anonymous donors to talk about their challenges called the Donor Privacy Initiative at don'tpri.org. For me, Mike's story demonstrates how complicated this issue really is. Even as at-home DNA testing has exploded, the fertility industry is still concerned about maintaining anonymity, not writing a new playbook for how to navigate these issues. I feel for donor-conceived people like Brittany Johnson, who needed critical medical information, or people like Amber, who want to connect with their donor because they feel like it's key to knowing themselves. But I also really feel for Mike. He was just 19 when he signed up to be a sperm donor. He never wanted kids, and he was promised a lifetime of anonymity. All he wants is his privacy respected. But for some donors, privacy may be the least of their worries. I guess I would say it just seems so unfair that she died so young. Next week on Biohacked Family Secrets, a mother grieves the loss of her daughter who died after donating her eggs. Biohacked Family Secrets is produced by 3 Uncanny 4 and Sony Music Entertainment. I'm your host, TJ Raphael. Our program is edited by Maureen McMurray. Our producers are Nick Mott, Jennifer Siegel, Shane McKeon, Krista Ripple, and Rahima Nasa. Jenny Kim is our production manager, and Alicia Baitoup composed the theme. Our fact-checkers are Will Tavlin and Ava Ahmed-Behi. This episode was mixed by Joanna Catcher at Nice Manners. Special thanks to Laura Mayer, Nuna Sharafadeen, Amy Eason, Jennifer Womack, and Allison Sherry. Have a question or comment about this week's show? Send me a tweet at TJ Raphael or email us at biohacked at 3uncanny4.com. For 3uncanny4 and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm TJ Raphael. <laughs>